from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got to this is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, August 5th. Ahead in this hour, the Mariners falling to the Angels yesterday, 5-3. to three. Rookie Justin Dunn on the mound. A really tough first inning, but able to settle down in the second after a Trout home run in the first, a Pujols home run as well. We also got to see the Major League debut of Joe Adele, highly touted prospect for the Angels yesterday. Uh, also some updates from the M's. Kendall Graveman going on the 10-day IL. So we've got who might replace him in the rotation. The M's going to stick with a six-man rotation. So we'll discuss that. Kyle Lewis, he's back on his new hitting streak. That's, he's just starting up a new one. Uh, yesterday also with a pretty impressive catch in center field. Dylan Moore also homering in that game. And Austin Nola getting some some gritty hits. Uh, also, some updates on the Pac-12 football players with the We Are United movement. Uh, several of them met with officials from the California Governor's Office Tuesday. Could they get some political support behind their movement? I'll explain. It's all ahead in this hour. Plus, we'll hear from KJ Wright sitting down with Q13 yesterday. It's all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Buttry from the belt. Kicks, delivers, swing, and a fly ball into left field. It's shallow. Over toward the line is Goodwin. He's there. And Goodwin makes the catch, and the ball game is over. The Angels win game one of this three-game series. A final score of 5-3. to three. The Angels beat the Mariners 5-3 to three on Tuesday night in the first game of that series. Mariners rookie Justin Dunn. He struggled in that first frame, needed 37 pitches to get out of the first inning, ended up being charged with three runs over four frames. Mike Trout returning to the lineup after becoming a brand new father. Congratulations to him and his uh, wife on their son, Beckham Aram Trout. But then, of course, Mike Trout returning immediately to punish the Mariners, homered in his first plate appearance as a father. Here's the windup and the 2-2 to Trout. Swung on, belted deep to left center field. Kyle Lewis going back to the wall. Yes. Goodbye, baseball. Out to the pin in left center field. Mike Trout with his second home run of the season, a laser. And it's the 42nd time the Trout has hit a home run off a Mariner pitcher. To be fair, he punishes everyone. They said on the broadcast yesterday, he punishes the Mariners. Mike Trout punishes everyone. Uh, but returning with that solo shot to left center in his first inning, also finished one for three with a walk. Albert Pujols, also a big boy home run. A two-run shot later in the first, giving the Angels a 3-0 lead. Now the stretch and the 3-1 pitch. Swung on and belted deep to left field. Down the line. D. Gordon going back, looking up, and goodbye baseball. Right over the top of the... Hand-operated scoreboard, Albert Pujols with his third home run of the season. Second home run here in the top of the first inning for the Angels, who now lead it 3-0. to nothing. And Albert is now one home run away from Willie Mays, fifth on the all-time home run list. There is home run number 659 for the future Hall of Famer. 659. Not bad. Scott Service, after the game on Dunn throwing that many pitches to open up things in the first. Yeah, you know, you never really want to, certainly a young guy like that to go, um, you know, 
that many pitches in the first inning. It was getting to the point where you're kind of at his last hitter, um, and he got out of it and then kind of you know pushed that aside and went out there and did exactly what he needed him to do. He needed to, to suck up a few more innings, and he did. And again, these guys are learning, and uh, he just saw the Angels last week over there. They're going to have a pretty good idea on his breaking ball, and that, like I said, that's what got us tonight. He left the breaking ball to Trout, one to Pujols, and then later on we left one up to Fletcher, and that's that's what really hurt. Dunn able to settle down in the second and get a key double play that was initiated by Anthony Rendon. One out here in the second. The pitch on the way to Rendon, swinging a fly ball into right field and down the line on the run. Dylan Moore gets there in time to make the catch. Rounding third is Renhifo. He was thinking that was out number three. It is now because they throw to second and double up Renhifo, and that will end the inning. But uh, Scott Service mentioning that Dunn came in pretty amped up and then being able to settle down is progress. I think he did. He started to pitch. Um, I think, you know, early in the game, uh, it was, uh, you know, when you see guys missing that bad and four-pitch walks, you know, after the, the Trout home run, I mean, he got to get out of whack, you know, and then that's what we saw. And, again, that's part of the maturing process. You are going to give up some hits. You're going to give up a few homers. You've got to get it right back in the strike zone. And when that didn't happen, that's when that, that first inning started to unravel on him a little bit. And, you know, thankful that he was able to get through it. Angel starter Andrew Heaney, meanwhile, struck out three, walked four, and allowed a run in three hits in five and two-thirds innings. Allowed a run-scoring triple to Austin Nola in the sixth inning. That ended his night. First pitch to Austin Nola. He swings and lines this out to left field. Good one, tracking it into the gap. He dives and he can't make the catch. It rolls to the base of the wall. Seager is past second. He's motoring into the third and makes the turn. He's coming home to score. Nola chugging for three. Headlong slide well ahead of the throw. It's an RBI triple for Austin Nola. And the Mariners are on the board, 3-1 to one in the bottom of the sixth. Nola wasn't done for the night, though, in the bottom of the eighth, adding an RBI single. Here's the stretch, and the 3-2 on the way to Austin Nolan. Here she comes, swinging a fly ball, shallow left center field, falling fast on the run. Goodwin dives, and he can't get to it. It's going to drop in a base hit. Lewis will score. Austin Nola with an RBI single. It drops in right in front of Goodwin. It looked like he was getting ready to die for the ball. He ended up staying on his feet, but it's in there for a hit with two outs, and it's now the Angels' five. And the Mariners three as Nola drives in his second run tonight. An inning earlier, too, Dylan Moore hitting a home run. That made it 5-2. Then Nola's RBI single made it 5-3. But uh, Dylan Moore going deep as well. 2-2 pitch. Swinging a fly ball down the left field line. This is a fair ball and gone off the bat of Dylan Moore. Just off the left of the manual scoreboard, Dylan Moore's second of the season. Both have come against the Angels. Dylan Moore trying to bring the Mariners a run closer. It's 5-2 Angels. Scott Service speaking afterwards on the offense, uh, on Nola in particular, and needing to put up numbers on the Angels' bullpen. You know, Nola continues to, to grind out some some bats and a uh, productive night for him, and uh, just not a ton offensively. I was hoping... You know, we could hold them right there at three. The Fletcher home run, the add-on runs, uh, you know, really hurt us. But, uh, again, I thought we really uh, – we competed really well tonight. I thought uh, kind of hanging in there, grinding through it. You know, we, we did put up some, some big points, uh, big numbers on uh, uh, their bullpen when we were over in Anaheim. So we're hoping to get at it tonight, just not enough. Kyle Lewis went one for four at the plate with a run, but he also had a pretty incredible defensive play out there in center field. 2-0 pitch. Swinging, it's a deep fly ball out to Kyle Lewis, picking up some speed out of the warning track near the wall. Kyle Lewis about to jump leap, and he makes the catch. He just brought it back. 
Kyle Lewis with some robbery in center field. Climbing the ladder above the yellow stripe. It's out number two, and he saves a run. Showing off all the tools. There are five dual player, but Scott Service on uh, Kalu's defensive play after the game. Well, Kyle's really athletic, and, uh, you know, I was kind of, you know, they hit a, he was jumping up over the wall in, in, in Anaheim on the last road trip, and I said, you're going to get a few of those this year, and he goes, oh, I know, I, I will. So uh, Kyle's played it really well. Obviously, can't ask for much more. Uh, what he's done early in the season, offensively, defensively, he's in tune to the game. Um, he's playing with a smile on his face. You know, that, that's the biggest thing. These guys, as they learn and go along, there are going to be some struggles, but uh, need to enjoy the process, what we're going through. Enjoy the process. We've heard that one before. Yep. Yep. But uh, as for some news and updates from the trainer's room, uh, right-handed pitcher Kendall Graveman, he went on the 10-day IL list with a neck injury that had been bugging him uh, in the last two starts. And uh, especially in that last one, Service said that right-handed pitcher Nick Margavichus, a former starter, he could end up getting Graveman's rotation spot on Saturday. But they are going to stick with that six-man rotation, at least as of now. Should also be noted, Mariners also selected right-hander pitcher Joey Gerber, and he made his major league debut with a 1-2-3 inning yesterday. Now the 2-2. Swinging a high fly ball out to left field. D. Gordon sizing it up, plants his feet, and he makes the one-handed catch. Hey, Joey Gerber doesn't even break a sweat. He breezes through his first big league inning, retiring Brian Goodwin, Albert Pujols, and Tommy Lestella. 1-2-3. Congrats to Gerber. That's an exciting moment. And I know these aren't traditional ones because you don't get to have all your family and friends in the stand, but uh, but pretty cool. The Mariners also were calling left-handed pitcher Taylor Gilbo and optioning Zach Rhodes to the alternate training site. Up next for them, it'll be lefty Marco Gonzalez, the crafty lefty on the mound for his third start. He's 6-1 and one in his career against the Angels, including an 8-5 win on July 30th. Coming up on the Blitz, a group of Pac-12 football players with the We Are United movement met with officials from the California Governor's Office on Tuesday. Could they get some support for their movement from elected officials? Also, we get to hear from K.J. Wright on what the virtual offseason has been like. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you. Just in a moment, we'll hear from K.J. Wright on what it's been like for this virtual offseason and also having some important conversations with his teammates surrounding uh, police brutality surrounding social justice. So we'll dis- we'll hear from KJ in just a moment. But up first, a group of Pac-12 football players that uh, are with the We Are United movement. They actually met with officials from the California governor's office on Tuesday to discuss concerns over the school's COVID-19 protocols, as well as protecting their college eligibility. Pac-12 players hope that an executive order from Governor Gavin Newsom could help mandate player-approved third-party oversight of COVID-19 rules at the Pac-12's four California schools and help ensure players who opt out of the coming season because of COVID concerns won't end up losing a year of eligibility. This was part of the requests that the players had when they put that Players' Tribune article out on Sunday and went public with the movement that has been in the works for uh, about a month, according to these players, and had a lot of support, although only a few players we saw um, 
actually signing their name to it or putting their name to it, but a lot of support from around the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has said athletes who opt out will stay on scholarship this season, but whether they would be allowed to preserve their eligibility in that situation is undetermined. After about a month, as mentioned, organizing behind the scenes, the players took their movement public on Sunday, issuing that lengthy list of demands related to health and safety, related to racial injustice and economic and financial rights. But Monty Jones, I thought, had some great comments about that. He wrote an article after talking and speaking with several Pac-12 players for the undefeated, and he talks about uh, why the players are finding their voice right now. COVID laid bare what the game was. It gave the game away. If they were willing to put players and coaches in harm's way in order to try to get this money, it made it clear just how important the players actually were because they are seeing the level of desperation they're having to have a football season. When you hear people respond to this and say, fine, leave, we just won't play football, clearly the schools don't feel that way because they're willing to move hell and everything else in order to try to have a football season. So that's where we are. Now, is this a big deal? It's a big deal in the sense that what I think has happened is an awakening across the country of college football players. Do not be surprised if you hear about players in other conferences trying to come up with something else that is similar. Bomani saying that this is just the tip of the iceberg. COVID laid bare what the game was. Sorry, that's the same quote. But the players made an important connection. That's between the financial aspect and the racial injustice aspect. One of the players made a very good point to me, though, that I was not able to put into the piece. Is like, this isn't about the mechanics right now. And that's a crucial point to make, because even if you think that some of the demands they make have no chance of getting started, the big thing is they are making a connection between racial justice, what's happening with health and safety, and with the economics. When you put all of those things together and crystallize those into issues, they're easily relatable to a lot of college football players. And I do think that this is the beginning of something having to change with college football, because as we've seen with Washington State, Some coach is going to be willing to embarrass himself to try to maintain order. And if more guys are found out to do things like that, the sentiment of this is going to swing and tort the players in a way that I don't think people could have expected before this happened. Elsewhere in college sports, the NCAA Board of Governors met yesterday to consider canceling or postponing fall championships in sports like soccer, volleyball and lower division football in all three divisions. Um, Mark Emmert, NCAA president, said in a statement, in order to ensure the health and well-being of college athletes, we have to consider all the implications when determining our next steps. And we plan to provide an update to our membership and the public Wednesday. So today, the board members reportedly decided each division will determine what to do with their fall championship events. Um, the Division One board of directors will consider the topic Wednesday. So essentially deciding that they're not going to decide that this is a common theme, that they're going to leave it up to the individual divisions to actually make the decision. Hmm. Interesting. NCAA does not control regular season competition. The conferences do. So in that way, it makes sense. And the NCAA has no say whatsoever in major college football. But whether the football season or any college sports can be played in the pandemic is still to be determined. Conferences, as we've seen, putting plans in place and they look different even across the Power Five conferences. In the Pac-12, football practice is scheduled to start August 17th with the season uh, set to begin on September 26th. The players with the We Are United movement are expected to meet later this week with Pac-12 officials, but hope the California governor can expedite their initiative. Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, he did respond to the group on Monday in their request for a meeting with conference officials with 
a letter. Uh, Scott detailed how the Pac-12's response to COVID-19 and the school's attempts to play through the pandemic have been guided by the conference's medical advisory committee. committee. Uh, Stanford uh, defensive end Dylan Bowles, he said the players are seeing discrepancies in how guidelines are implemented and enforced from campus to campus, though, and that's a huge concern for them. That's why they are demanding to have approval over a third party that would provide oversight of those protocols, especially when it comes to the testing process. So we'll know more today uh, if the NCAA makes a decision or if the individual divisions make a decision, and we'll keep you updated on that. Up next on The Blitz, we get to hear from KJ Wright on what the virtual offseason has been like for him, plus important conversations with his teammates next on The Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz hanging out with you for being here this morning, Wednesday, August 5th. Still to come, I promise, KJ Wright. But first, we get to hear from Keyshawn Johnson, who joined the professor yesterday to chat about the addition of Jamal Adams, plus the NFC West shaping up as the most formidable division in football. Trade last week with Jamal Adams going to Seattle uh, for two first-round picks, a third, uh, Bradley McDougal, a good safety, and a fourth back to Seattle. How do you evaluate that trade? I think it's a, I think it's an interesting trade. Um was a lot to give up for safety, um, but maybe they see something in their defense and they see something in the draft coming up that won't allow that particular player in the draft to do some of the same things that Jamal Adams can do. Uh, it all is going to hinge on what happens with those picks of the Jets. Do the Jets turn those two number ones into Hall of Fame players, or do they just turn them into players that they get rid of in four years? All depends on that. Well, and that's the thing that the Seattle and many other teams have recognized, even the Rams. It's like, okay, if you're drafting as a playoff team 21 to 32, since 2015, there's only been five or six uh, Pro Bowl players taken at that spot. Five or six. And uh, in many cases, if you can't get a Pro Bowl out of your first round pick, you're not going to get the fifth year option to them. And so they're gone after four years. And so in the case of uh, Pittsburgh last year with Mika Fitzpatrick, you know, they traded up a one to to move up uh, the 10 spots to be able to get Mika Fitzpatrick. And in the case of Seattle, they basically paid the price that you would pay if you were going up from in the 20s to the sixth pick in the draft. And, you know, and and of course, maybe you, you can go into this a lot is, of course, you're out there in Los Angeles. You see the division. I mean, you see the two great running teams and running schemes with the Rams and the 49ers, and you got a mobile quarterback with uh, Kyler Murray. And so in a guy like, you know, not a, just a box safety, but a mobile safety like that, you know, Jamal Adams kind of fits kind of the new trend of that positionless player that can make plays. And, and he does. And so when you need that spy-type guy to follow and pay attention, to one of those mobile quarterbacks, he gives you that look. Like, I think Jamal Adams is a terrific player. I think he's great. Uh, I like him a lot. But are you going to win a championship with him if you're the New York Jets? Where Seattle has a lot of pieces in place. They've got a quarterback. They've got a couple of receivers. They've got some defensive players and Bobby Wagner and some of the other guys. So when you start to look at that, it looks far different Jamal Adams on Seattle than it does on the New York Jets. 
Yeah, because he he's going to be, I think, going to be a pretty good fit. How do you look at how close the talent base is for San Francisco and Seattle? I, I think it's close. I mean, obviously, quarterback speaks for itself in Seattle. I think the defensive front is probably better in San Francisco. Uh, the secondary is probably even. Uh, the receivers, I give a nod to Seattle. Um, running game is probably even. Uh, Coaching-wise, I'd lean more toward Pete than I do uh, Shanahan, although he did just go to a Super Bowl. But, you know, what does that mean when you didn't win it? Um, so I kind of look at I look at it from that standpoint. But the Rams, be, it'll be interesting and sneaky to see what the Rams are like. Uh, you know, they lost some key players in the offseason, and they certainly got a new defensive staff. So it'll be fun to see what they look like. Yeah, it was kind of amazing because I was counting it down a couple weeks ago. If you take a look at uh, what they've done in the last two years, they've let 11 starters on defense go along with a slot cornerback. And then they let three offensive linemen go. Todd Gurley they traded or they cut. And then uh, Brandon Cooks. That's a lot to take out of a team. No, it is a lot to take out of a team. But if you're used to, if you are used to playing without those guys, then you're fine. Brandon Cooks wasn't even in the lineup much. So they're used to playing without Brandon Cooks when you look at it. For them, they've got to get back to the basics, the things that they did that got them to the Super Bowl and not try to be so fancy on the offensive side. Keyshawn Johnson on with the professor yesterday. Full interview available for you at 710sports.com. We got to hear from Pete Carroll earlier in this week, and he spoke on the defensive side of things about new draft pick Jordan Brooks. And he said he can play anywhere now, but the most obvious path for him now would be at that will linebacker spot. But Pete Carroll also mentioning that they have tremendous flexibility at linebacker. You know, we have tremendous flexibility in our guys. Our guys have been been here for a long time in our program with Bruce coming back and, and KJ and Bobby. It's a fantastic group of guys. Um, we've got we've got a, a lot of options in, in, in plan here to, to, to weigh up, but we got to see how it goes. And that's why this goes back to competition, and we'll see how it all plays itself out. Um, KJ's been a fantastic player. Might have had his best year for us last year. Bobby's at the top of his game, and uh, we're thrilled to have Bruce back. But that doesn't mean, you know, that that all those guys don't play at the same time, you know. And, and all four of those guys are on the field at the same time. There's options for how we can do that that we've worked out, and um, the competition will settle it. I'm not concerned about it at all. The competition will will tell us what what uh, you know what we need to do here, and because the options are all there for us. Sometimes too many options, you know, can mean too many tough decisions to make, at least for yours truly. Yesterday on Bob, Dave, and Moore, they had some discussion about the tough decisions that might have to be made at linebacker. Pete talked specifically about the rookie Jordan Brooks, basically just saying the guy can play anywhere on the field, but his immediate best fit would probably be at the will. Well, I think I think the spot that, that makes sense to us at this point, he, he could play either outside, he could play all three spots at linebacker. He, he, he's physically capable, and I've seen enough film of him. I mean, there's a lot of film of him playing all different spots. Um, so I, I know in his background, any college guy that came to us, you know, you would love to see what we've seen in him. He started for four years, and he's had thousands of snaps. So uh, the flexibility is there. I think his, his clearest path would be, and might, the most obvious path would be at the Will Backer spot. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, we'll start him there and then see how fast he can grasp it and how soon he can become comfortable, and, and, uh, and we'll see. 
Jim, I know you wanted to weigh in on that, saying, you know, Will is, is the spot that he sees he's, he's going to have his, his best chances. That's where his strength currently is, but it can play anywhere. And obviously you've got a very, very prominent individual occupying that spot right now. Well, that's the thing, Dave. I wanted to ask you with K.J. Wright. That's, that's his position. And I, I'm just curious what you think K.J. thought when he heard Pete say that. Like, hey, man, uh, you, you just talked about what a great year I had last year. Now you're bringing the rookie over here. I understand that if they feel like Jordan Brooks, that's his be- best position. Go for it. But do you think it ends up be- meaning that they, they share the job there at that position? Or do you think K.J. is going to shift over to the strong side? Uh, you know, he can do that. He, he definitely could. And that's, you know, like I said, that's where Cody Barton can play and so can, um, you know, Bruce Irvin. But, yeah, I mean, it, you back a guy into a corner like KJ, he's going to come come out swinging. And, you know, he's going to fight for the, fight you for that job. But, yeah, it makes the most sense to put Brooks there. I, I played in the will in a 4-3, and it was my best year. I, I really enjoyed it <laughs> on, on the backside. And, it's Pete's defense can be is different, but you know, like uh, plays away, you can just run. A lot of times, you're not accounted for in the blocking scheme, and then you know, just you get a lot of freedom to just run around, and make plays. You know, typically, the the middle linebacker makes all the calls and the checks and things like that. So, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. I, I really enjoyed playing in that position, and that's that's something that you could probably throw Brooks. I, I mentioned this earlier in an email or at some point along the line that, you know, with Brooks, if you get him in some situations where it's just like put him in and push play, you know, go, go run to the quarterback, run to the ball, don't have a lot of responsibilities, you know, man-to-man coverage, things like that. You can use him and, you know, that way. Because remember when we they put Shaquem Griffin in, um, it was the first game of the year in 2018 against Denver. I can't remember what the situation was. KJ was hurt or something, but yeah, I mean he he was he was really lost, and that's you know to be expected. And Ben Burkirvan kind of looked like that a couple of times last year when he got in that uh, Carolina game. Same thing with uh, Cody Barton. So uh, you want to put him in, in situations where less thinking and just you know hit the gas, play a hundred percent, you know go a hundred miles an hour, and that's probably the best position for him to play but yeah it does coincide with with kj and uh where he plays so it's you know maybe maybe he gets he's a first round draft choice though (laughs) you know i mean i I would think that you give him every opportunity that you can to get on the field if he starts to show something then you know he might end up playing that position and then like you said maybe you could move kj over there to the other side but then that also brings into play cody parton and that's another guy i really like so yeah, it's it's going to be a really tough decision. And again, I said in my email, like I feel like it's almost like sacrilegious to even speculate that KJ is going to get traded or cut or anything like that. He's just been such a huge part of this team, and probably last year I thought more a, a part of this defense and important to this defense than he's ever been. Well, speaking of KJ, we'll hear from him next in the hot list. He had some thoughts on how football has changed for him over the years uh, since when he started career his career to now. Plus, also, we get to hear from DK Metcalf and one Mr. Gardner Minshew. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for... 
the hot list. Holy mackerel. The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes. What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go. Let's just start the hot list with some fun. Joey Votto. Love that Canadian. Always got some humor up his sleeve. Uh, he wants to buy six sections of cutouts with just his face on them. Are those are those people? Did it, like uh, obviously they're real people, but are those? Uh, well, they're not real people, but obviously they're pictures of real people. Are they? Did they pay for them? I, I don't really know the start background. Fundraiser for the community fund. Purchase them and the money goes. Oh, tremendous! So, how about I buy an entire section and it's just my face, like a hundred pictures of me. Okay. Is that a good idea? Mm-hmm. Would that be weird? It's a little weird. All right. Okay. Let's get Charlie Frank on the horn. How much is that going to cost me? $70,000. Oh, my God. All right. I'll take six sections. Everyone, have a good night. I mean, if it's for charity, it might be tax deductible. Whole section of, of yourself. Joey Votto, uh, I've never changed. Other than, you know, insulting sort of James Paxton that one time, but then apologizing for it later. That's all right. But I love Joey Votto and uh, continue to say weird things, please. Gardner Minshew, we heard that he had been placed on the COVID-19 list. Now you can be placed on that list by either, yes, contracting or testing positive, but also just perhaps contract tracing, having potentially come into contact with people. So then he was cleared and he made it clear yesterday that he did not contract covid um because it took one look at him and decided to go the other way no nah, it was brutal dude like yesterday it had been like the first day of school you know like had my outfit picked out and everything had to stay at home that sucks missed out playing with all my friends uh but yeah you know did not contract the virus uh it took one look at me ran the other way uh it's probably in its best interest so um here we are. We're back on Tuesday, ready to roll. Decided a good place of football. Also, never changed. Another person never never changed. Even as a, a Husky, someone who went to UW, still just love that kook. Deegan Hay Metcalf. He sat down for an interview recently to talk about what's the biggest thing that he learned last season. There's always next week. I know. Uh, I keep going back to the Philly game, and um, you know, I, it was one of my my worst games uh, of my rookie year, and. You know, I came back next week when we played Tampa Bay and, you know, blew it out the water. So, um, you know, just go back to work because there's 16 weeks in, in a season. So, you know, you always got next. It's our one-on-one series that uh, Q13 has been doing with some of these players. We get to know them a little bit bit, bit, bit better. And DK Metcalf also saying that he has some flexibility and versatility. They can move him around this year. Pretty much just the connection with Russ. You know, learning the playbook more in depth. Um, my role won't be just an X receiver. You know, they can move me around uh, whenever possible. DK and Russ have spent plenty of time together even before the season last year. And what's the difference in working with Russ this year? Well, he's like family now. Oh, well, this time was a little different. Like, we connected, like, on a personal level. You know, I, I look at him as a big brother. You know, our, our, our bond is growing stronger every day. Uh, we talk almost every day, you know, about football, about life stuff. So uh, just the outside football talk, I believe this year is, is what's different. Seahawks fans, you'd love to hear it. The best advice that Russ has ever given DK would be? And bring everybody with you. You know, greatness. If, you, if you're going to be great, uh, you know, you got to you gotta cut some people off or you got to, you know, some people aren't going to have the same grind as you. So you got to pick that out early and just continue to focus on you and uh, building, helping build the team and uh, yourself. K-19 
can't bring everybody with you if you want to be truly great. That is true. Sometimes true greatness can be even a little isolating. I think The Last Dance really highlighted that for me this year, watching what Michael Jordan went through as, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. DK Metcalf also uh, with a little story, the first time meeting Marshawn Lynch. When he joined the team, I was very, very excited because I had seen him around the facility a couple times, but, you know, just never got the one-on-one interaction with him. And then when he joined the team, his locker was supposed to be beside mine, but, you know, got mixed up. Bobby told him to put his locker beside him. So when I walked in the, in the locker, <laughs> he was coming out of the bathroom. So I was like, hey, what's up, bro? He, I was staring at him first. He was like, what you looking at? I was like, I was looking for you because your locker is supposed to be beside mine. He was like, oh, big dude. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm Marshawn. Then we just, you know, spoke to each other, introduced each other. I love it. DK also mentioning that Marshawn did uh, impart a lot of wisdom on the younger players. Then, then um, man, it was just like he was spewing with knowledge, talking about, you know, what you got to do while you're in the league, taking care of your body. How can you make more money off the field and, you know, how much money is in Seattle and what I can tap into. It was just a lot of a lot of knowledge that he was just, you know, uh, giving to the, the younger generation, the younger player. Take care of your mentals, take care of your chickens, take care of your bread. All of that great advice from Marshawn, also a true original. Uh, also, we got to hear from KJ Wright sitting down on in one of these one-on-one interviews with Q13. What was the virtual off-season like for him? Coming into it, I was like, this is going to be terrible, just sitting on a computer for two hours. But it's been really, really good. And it kind of feels like you're in the building. Like I, I feel like we haven't missed a beat. But um, if I was to say something that is missing, just interacting with the guys, you know, just just spending time with them, chilling in a hot tub, sauna, just just catching up, meeting the rookies, meeting the, the new vets. And so we definitely miss that aspect. KJ, obviously one of the storied veterans on this team. And what is the advice that he has for rookies right now? Yeah, um, a few things. Make sure you come in shape because I definitely did not come in shape. <laughs> just they, I got a phone call saying, hey, get on the plane tomorrow. I was like, all right. And um, so definitely come in shape. And these guys, they have an advantage. I didn't have a playbook. These guys have a playbook. Make sure you're mentally ready to go. It's um, because when you get back, we don't have time, you know, go over the same stuff. So make sure you're mentally sharp so you can play fast. And so those are top two things that got to be done. How's he feeling right now about all the health protocols and safety measures? Yeah, it's definitely a, a big reality that we have to face. And the NFL is doing taking a lot of protocols to make sure that we stay, you know, stay safe. Yeah. And so it all depends, you know, what we're wearing on the football field, what we're wearing in the building. Guys got to have the mask on at all times. Is it weird working out with that mask on? Different? Man, it's, I have not ever <laughs> worked out with a mask on. But, you know, I was thinking, you see some guys, like, when it's cold outside, they put on the, the ski mask. So I was thinking they should create, like, a breathable version of that. And um, so you got to do something to, to try to cover it up. How strange and different do you expect this season to be? It's going to be very different. It's just the steps you got to take throughout the week just to get the game day. It's going to be different as far as working out together. You know, they're talking about me having meetings outside and just, you know, fans. It's, it's going to be something we've never seen before. KJ asked, uh, he said he doesn't know if it will change the energy, and he really can't imagine a quieter CenturyLink field, that's for sure, with no fans are in the stands. Can't happen. We might as well not even play football if it's quiet. That shit, that makes absolutely no sense. Pump in some noise and just make it as close to real as possible. 
we kind of heard that from Pete Carroll earlier this week that he promised the 12s that they have to get a, a little creative if that if that occurred because he can't imagine it quieter either. Also, KJ saying that they've had a lot of important discussions surrounding a social justice around Black Lives Matter, and that's been really important for him. For them to create that environment for us was perfect. It was something that was much needed. And we all know life is bigger than football. And for you know them to take away two, three days for us to just talk as men in America versus Seahawks players in America was, you know, it, it was phenomenal. KJ said it was really great to be vulnerable in those conversations, both as athletes and as men. Was also asked about players' decision to kneel during the anthem and if players might be doing that this season. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty. It should be pretty clear why people do choose to take a knee, you know, to protest. And so everyone's walk in America is different, and people experience different things. And they won't change to happen in certain areas. And so you do see that. And I hope that people understand and listen when they do see those things, listen to other people's stories. As far as me personally, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, what I am going to do is go out there and, and make change. I'm going to figure out, you know, how can people be more educated? You know, how, how are these laws? You know, what, what can we do to, to just shift this narrative, shift this country to head in a positive direction? Always love hearing from K.J. Wright, uh, one of the leaders, one of the veterans on this team. Uh, if you haven't heard it, Mina Kimes' podcast, the live podcast she did with K.J. at the Crocodile last year is incredible, and uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, that is, of course, the Mina Kimes' podcast with Lenny because she's got several now. Uh, we also got to hear from uh, 49ers uh, GM John Lynch this week, and he had some really uh, interesting thoughts on the Jamal Adams trade to Seattle, but also on George Kittle's contract status. Where is that at right now for them? We've traded ideas and things, and and you know we're really hopeful. We're going to work extremely hard. Um, George is is such a great fit for what we do. He's a tremendous player. Um, sitting here looking at the the vision statement for what we want in a player. And George checks every box. Uh, he's tremendous, um, and um, he's what we want to be. And so, um, I think it'd be silly not to not to figure that out. So we're going to do our best to do just that. And uh, you know, as for a timetable, I don't I don't have that. But uh, you know, George is uh, George is a pro, and and he he's uh, you know planning on coming, and and we're going to continue to work. That's our job to to get that done. And you know, I'd be disappointed if if we didn't. So. Um, you know, we're working towards that and, um, you know, no updates as of right now, but, um, you know, I'm, I, I can tell you we're working in earnest because it's very important to us. And the good news, it's very important to them, uh, to, to, uh, that, that, that we agree because he loves, he loves being a 49er. How many times did he say important in there? I don't know, but, uh, to sum it all up, no timetable as of yet and hoping that, um, a potential holdout or anything of that nature won't happen. Uh, John Lynch was also asked about Jamal Adams being traded to Seattle. Was he disappointed to hear that news? No, not not frustrated uh, or upset. Um, it's uh, you know he's he's a great player, and and uh, I think um, you know when people in a division have success. I mean, shoot, a lot of the moves we make. All right, we got to go get Seattle. We got to get the Rams because you got to win your division first to have success in this league. Then I think we emerge, and you look at some of the deals Arizona has made. You look at now Seattle. Um, I think a lot of people saying, okay, we got to go get San Francisco. So that's how these things work. 
Um, you want to play against the best. <laughs> um, he, he's a he's an exceptional player, and so you know, um, Mayoko caught me at the right time yesterday. <laughs> you know, and I. <laughs> I love it that that we're it seems to be in every guy that's up for a trade or, or that that we're involved. I, I love that people talk about the Niners, um, but I, I try to be truthful, and and that's just something you know we're talking about Kittle. We're trying to save room for him. We've got other we've got a plan here. John Lynch also saying that they feel really good about their secondary. You know, number one, we feel really good about our guys, Jimmy Ward, who who we re-signed this off season about Jaquaski Tart. Um, and you know, with Jamal Adams, you you, you saw all the uh, all the trade capital that they had to give up, which the Seahawks good for them. They made that decision. You also got to pay the man, <laughs> and so right, yeah. that's one of the reasons he's not in New York. And so, you know, um, being up there against it with what's happening in the cap due to the pandemic, it just wasn't a reality for us. So, um, yes, our division's getting better. We understand that. Uh, that's why we're working so hard to get better. I'm really proud of our off season. We added a guy like. Trent Williams, uh, uh, we added uh, Kinlaw and Ayuk, and and uh, we're we're so excited about where our team's at. And um, you know, despite all the challenges, despite uh, this pandemic, and and some some you know, at, at times it can feel a daunting task, but we're prepared for that. We feel feel like we're built for that. The the work I can't speak enough. Um, there weren't many off days this off season. Basically saying he feels confident and maybe throwing a little shade at the Seahawks for how much they gave up in that trade, saying they feel confident where they're at. But yes, uh, nobody can disagree that the NFC West <laughs> continues to get more formidable. The Angels beat the Mariners 5-3 to on Tuesday night. Unfortunately, some struggles for Justin Dunn, especially in that first inning. Needed 37 pitches to get out of the first Ended up being charged with three runs over four innings. Mike Trout homered in his first plate appearance since he became a father to one Beckham Aaron Trout. Pretty adorable baby, but unfortunately coming back and in his first at-bat, uh, punishing the Mariners for it with a uh, home run. Also, Albert Pujols hitting a huge homer later in the first to make it 3-0. Uh, that puts him at 659 for his career. That's one behind Willie Mays on the career list. Not bad for Albert Dunn was able to settle down in the second, um, and Scott Service mentioned that as a positive after coming in amped up, able to settle down a little bit. Also, just a quick piece of news that right-handed pitcher Kendall Graveman, he went on the 10-day injured list with a neck injury that he aggravated in his last two starts. Uh, right-handed pitcher Nick Margavichus, according to Service, he fo- was a former starter, could get Graveman's spot in the rotation on Saturday. But as of now, they are sticking with that six-man rotation. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at 6 hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.